Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We are in the middle of a mini-series on having to do with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me recap very briefly where it is that we've been. And I'm kind of just sharing things that have been really important to me in my Christian life. Things that when lights went on in certain areas related to the Holy Spirit, that it really made a huge difference for me in my walk with the Lord. And because they're biblically based, I know that they're good for all of us. I wouldn't take three or four or five or six weeks to merely tell you, you know, what's been good for me and uh, nanny, nanny, nanny kind of a thing. But this is something that is for all of us. And a couple of weeks ago, some of the things that we've studied is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not merely an impersonal force, that he's a person. And what that helped me in my life to realize is that because he is a person and not merely an impersonal force, that the big question that comes in my life now, knowing that he's a person, is not how much of the Holy Spirit do I have. That's how I would treat him as a force. But because he's a person, the big question is, is how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? It helped me to realize that, yes, the Holy Spirit does give us power. He does give us gifts. He does have a calling upon our life. But he doesn't give us power just for our purpose, for us to do whatever we want to do with our lives or in the world. But behind the power that he gives is a plan and a divine purpose coming from a divine person, the third person of the Godhead, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also, we've seen, provides us with the how to live the what of God's Word. This book isn't written for us to taunt us and mock us and tell us to live this life in our own strength, but behind every commandment and every encouragement of the Word of God, there is the person of the Holy Spirit standing behind it, giving us both the will to do and the power to do of His good pleasure of all that is found in this book. We've also seen that the Holy Spirit is another helper, just like the first one, that the Holy Spirit is another helper like Jesus. In other words, wherever there is a work of the Holy Spirit going on in my life or in some kind of a setting, that he will always look like Jesus. What Jesus would say or do if he were in that same setting. And one of the things that that helped me with, because of the background that I came from related to the Holy Spirit, is it helped me to relax related to the person of the Holy Spirit. Because I realized I knew enough about Jesus to know that not only would I be safe in any environment that he was dominating or working in, but that I would eagerly want to be there. And so I realized that anywhere the Holy Spirit is working, he will look like Jesus in his public ministry and in his treatment of people and in what he would say. And so that helped me to realize that he, the Holy Spirit, is safe and that he can be trusted. And then we talked finally about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, how it is that Jesus wants the Holy Spirit not only to be with us, not only to be in us, but also upon us, providing us with the power to be a witness to Jesus 
anywhere that we might find ourselves in the whole world. The power to live a life like Him in any environment, in a difficult marriage, in a difficult school setting, in a difficult job setting, in Iraq, in the most difficult places on the face of the earth, people that know the Lord have a power in their life to live a life that looks like Jesus in the middle of those settings. And how that baptism with the Holy Spirit is there for the asking. And if we ask for it, God will give it to us. And while there is one baptism with the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, there is of necessity many refillings. And I finished, and a young man caught me at the back door over here following one of the sessions and he came up to me and he asked a question that was something like this vaguely I'm trying to remember it in my mind but it was something related to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to you know live this God honoring victorious Christian life and he said something like do you lean on the sovereignty of God in all of this and basically what he was saying in that question was are you saying that our Christian walk is totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Or is there a human responsibility in this victorious Christian life also? And I think I told him something like, hold that thought because we're going to address that in the next session that we talk about related to the Holy Spirit. And so there's in a sense after each one of these studies that we've done, I ought to have said related to it, hold that thought because it's going to take us three sessions to wrap everything up and give you a kind of a complete picture related to all of this. Listen, I would love to do three-hour sermons and uh, knock it all out at one time, but I also know not to provoke people to wrath. And, uh, and people do have limitations. We all do to what we can absorb. Sometimes they say, oh, you should go to India. You know, if you go to India, they walk 175 miles to the meetings, and they do. And they'll sit for 16 hours straight and just never budge, make a move. And, listen. and I've been to India, and I've taught in India. They have thresholds, too. And they're just like the ones that we have here. There's a 20-minute, there's a 40-minute, there's a 60-minute, and then there's a serious point of diminishing return after that, though they are a little more disciplined than us in listening. So here we want to fill in some final blanks. And so the question is a good one, I think, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, that He's the how behind the what of God's Word, the baptism with the Holy Spirit to give us a power to live like Christ. And then what can happen in people's lives is that if they ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they ask to be refilled and then their life is not characterized by victory or by Christ-likeness then the tendency will be of that person to then blame God to feel that since this is completely dependent upon God that he is at fault and while all of this works for other people it doesn't seem to work for me and then there are other people that look at all of this and they might say, well, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit earlier in my Christian life, but over the years I have trouble maintaining that Spirit-filled life. I know what it is to be filled. I know what it is to be refilled. 
but I know what it is to leak inordinately in this relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. And so there's no real consistency in terms of victory in my life. I'm having trouble maintaining that dynamic of the Holy Spirit in my life. How does a person do that? And that's what I want to address for a few minutes this morning is to talk about how to maintain the Spirit-controlled life as a Christian after we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because while the Holy Spirit does play the greater part and the greatest part in all of this victorious Christian life, I still play a part, a vital part in it. And if I am not faithful to that part as a Christian, then I'll never know the full beauty or the victory in my Christian life and in my service that the Lord wants me to have. Now notice what Paul declares here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. He says five very, very simple words. He says, do not quench the Spirit. It's very interesting that while the Holy Spirit is likened to many, many things in the Bible, he is called a comforter, he is called a teacher, he is likened to water, he is likened to living water. But very, very frequently in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is likened to fire. And in this verse, the Apostle Paul is exhorting us as Christians concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he is likening the Holy Spirit inside of us the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to a fire, specifically to a campfire. Can you picture a campfire in your minds? hope everybody's been around a campfire one time in your life. And a campfire is a wonderful thing to be around, especially at night and, or early in the morning and when it's cold or when it's getting dark. And a campfire provides light and it provides warmth to the camp. And it radiates an influence into the entirety of the camp, doesn't it? And in the same way, the Holy Spirit fills our lives with a spiritual light and a spiritual warmth, with love and with grace. But then He radiates from our lives to influence all that's around us for good in the same way that a fire does within a campground, providing spiritual light, providing warmth and blessing through us to others that are around us. And in the light of this, Paul exhorts us not to quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, don't put out the fire of God's Spirit in your lives. Don't quench His full expression and influence in your life. Now the interesting thing about campfires is that they can be quenched in a couple of different ways. The most common way of quenching a fire is by simply drenching it with water. You ever watch somebody do that? They've got the campfire going and they're going to need to put it out and on so they take buckets of water and they pour buckets of water upon the fire until it's been quenched. It's a very, very effective way <laughs> to put out a fire. Why? Because water's like the polar opposite of fire. You introduce that and it'll put that fire out. Now in the same way, the full expression and influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives can be put out by introducing something into our lives from the outside that would be to the Holy Spirit inside of us what that water is to that campfire. For example, anything that's unholy, anything that is willful disobedience against the Word of God, 
And just as water is an opposite to the fire, so to speak, what is unholy is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Sometimes we can refer to the Holy Spirit so often as the Holy Spirit that we think holy is his first name. So he's a spirit, but he is a holy spirit, and that's what he is. So can you picture the uh, Holy Spirit blazing like a hot fire inside of your life, and then to sin is to pour a pitcher of water on that fire, to pour it on him. To sin again is to pour another pitcher of water upon him until his influence is being adversely affected now within our lives. Paul lists some of the things that can put out the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He said, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows old or grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which is created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are all things that represent a bucket of water that is poured upon the Holy Spirit when they become something that we are engaged in in our lives. He begins with lying. And to lie, deliberately lie in a situation, is to put water on the campfire of the Holy Spirit in my life. It quenches, it diminishes His influence inside of me when I do that. And sometimes you can just feel it immediately, can't you? Hopefully we can. And then he talks about unrighteous anger. Not a holy anger, but a selfish, sinful anger that quenches the Holy Spirit in our lives. He speaks of stealing as quenching or diminishing the influence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He talks about corrupt communication. And I always like the picture. It was one of the first words I looked up in a book that told you what these word pictures are and all. And the corrupt communication, the word corrupt, is a word that's used for a big basket of rotten fruit. And if you've ever seen fruit that's left too long, and then what happens? Long after the fruit flies have come on the thing. It's just kind of all merging together, isn't it? And nobody wants to eat anything. It's just become this rotten kind of mess. And it's very unappetizing. Somebody can bring the basket to you and say, listen, may I offer you an apricot? No, thank you. But there can be communication that comes out of our mouth that is just as unsightly and unappetizing also. It's when I take anything that is rotten in my own heart and now I introduce it into the heart of another. That quenches the Holy Spirit. 
And examples of that are murmuring and uh, complaining, gossiping, slandering, foul language, swearing, dirty jokes. These things quench the Holy Spirit. They're like a pail of water being, spiritually speaking, being thrown upon the fire of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He talks about bitterness. Interesting thing about bitter people is that they will always find a way to introduce their bitterness into other people. And that's why the Bible says we are not to give the smallest room at all to bitterness because it doesn't just make our lives bitter but we'll make everyone bitter around us. He speaks about wrath, and this is explosive anger. Somebody that's hot-headed is the way that we would put it. When a person blows up explosive anger, then that quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit in our lives. He speaks of clamor, and this is the kind of person that loves to fight and to argue. If they're not fighting or arguing with someone, they're not happy. One translation translates it brawling. Do you know you can brawl, you can fight, you can hurt people, you can pound them to within an inch of their life without ever doing it physically. It can be done with words. And here is a person, the kind of person, they would never raise a fist and hit another person. But they think nothing of day in and day out just pounding people with their speech and with their clamor and the damage that is done with all the shouting and all of the yelling and arguing and fighting and it quenches the influence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He speaks of evil speaking and it's blasphemia which means injurious speech. You say, well, isn't that kind of like clamor? No, clamor, for as bad as clamor is and that kind of a person is, at least they do it to your face. This here of evil speaking is the person that does it behind your back. They blaspheme you behind your back to destroy your reputation and to destroy your name. And it has no place in the life of a child of God. And it grieves and it quenches the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He closes it with malice, and malice is just pure hatred, where you just hate somebody. And more than hatred, you hate them so much you want to do them harm. But you won't do them harm. You just hate them enough to do them harm. The interesting thing is if it never comes out of my life and I never communicate it to anybody else, the Lord knows that it's in my life. And it grieves and it quenches the influence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And so there in Ephesians chapter 4 and then specifically in verse 30 Paul speaks also of grieving the Holy Spirit and the word grieving there means to cause pain to the Holy Spirit to cause grief to the Holy Spirit to distress the Holy Spirit to make him heavy or to make him sorrowful and knowing that the Holy Spirit could be grieved really helped a light go on for me early in my Christian life that realization that he is a person and that he lives inside of me. Because he lives inside of me, he sees everything that I see. He watches everything that I put before my eyes. He hears everything that I allow into my ears. He is absorbing as much as I am personally in my life as he lives inside of me. Because that's where he is now, because I'm a Christian. You know, 
what happens when you've said something or done something wrong to someone that you're in a relationship with. You ever said something wrong to your husband or wife? No, I know it's other churches filled with people like that, but praise the Lord for this church. Of course we have. You ever said something, and maybe you're not married, but you've said something or done something wrong to someone who is a close relationship to you. And we're talking about somebody where the relationship is important to us. And what happens is, for instance, with my wife, if I say something or I do something wrong kind of against her, I'll immediately have a sense that there's something wrong in the relationship because it's a relationship that's important to me. It's a relationship that I know what it is when that relationship feels right. And it feels right almost all of the time. I can tell because of the relationship that we have, if I've done some, messed up something in some kind of a way, I can just sense that there's something wrong in the relationship right now. It isn't right. And so sometimes I might ask her and say, is there anything wrong? Have I done something in anything? She says, no, it's just something else or with this thing or that. Or, or maybe she'll say, yeah, well, you hurt my feelings when you said this or you did such and such. And if you care about the relationship, then what a person does is they apologize for it, they make it right, and then what happens? The relationship returns to its former intimacy and its closeness. In the same way, a person can finish watching something on television or finish listening to something on the radio or finish a conversation with another person or finish buying something somewhere outside of the will of God. You knew you weren't supposed to buy that thing and now you're way in debt and the whole thing and you never asked them about it at all and everything. And you know immediately after in those things what happens. You walk away from the deal and you just feel out of sorts with the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you look and you say, you know, I have lost an intimacy that I had with him, a closeness that I had with him before I turned that radio on or before I engaged in that conversation. And you realize something has happened now in the relationship. Something has changed. And then you ask in prayer, Father, have I done something? Have I said something that has grieved or caused pain to your Holy Spirit in my life? You know what that feeling is, don't you? in your life when that happens in us and how often the Holy Spirit will identify what it is that's grieved him I've never ever had that sense that okay something's happening between me and the Holy Spirit right now in my life it's unsettled it's not settled it's out of sorts somehow on the thing I've never had a situation where I then turn to the Lord and say Lord what is it what happened in the course of today because I can't remember it I can't put my finger on it sometimes, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. What is it that has hurt intimacy in our relationship right now? And if I give him just a little bit of time to identify it, I've never known him not to be faithful to do it and even do it quickly and remind me of such and such. When you spoke to that person and then you said this about this other person, but you don't know that those are the facts about that other person. You heard it from somebody else, and it could be 50 people deep, and now you've planted that in somebody else now. You're right, Lord. You're right. 
Lord, I just confess that as sin. And then you begin to deal with it. How do we deal with that? When we grieve the Holy Spirit or we quench the Holy Spirit within our lives. What should we do when that happens? Just to stop right then and there when I recognize it's happened. I'm out of sorts. Something's wrong here between me and the Holy Spirit right now. And then to when the Holy Spirit reveals what it is that I've done, to repent of what it is that I've done. Have a change of mind about what it is that I've done that produces a change of action in my life. No excuses, no yeah, but, and well, let me tell you, you know how, and I got trapped in that one. And If he's grieved, he knows how to deal with the other people. <laughs> if he's grieved related to me, it's because he's got some things he wants to deal with me on. So no excuses. I repent of it. I confess it as sin to God. I ask him for his forgiveness. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then as I've asked for his forgiveness, I just stop. What I want to do is I want to learn from this situation. The next time I talk to that person, the next time I'm in that place, the next time this happens, I want to handle that completely different than I did this time. And I begin to work that thing. How would it be to handle that situation in a holy way? Because I don't want to keep repeating the same thing. Then I ask the Lord to freshly fill me now with his Holy Spirit. There's been a loss now of his influence in my life. And I've done these things and I ask him now to freshly fill me with the fullness and the power of your Holy Spirit. Full intimacy in my relationship with you. And he'll always be faithful to do that. So we need to be careful not to grieve or to quench the Holy Spirit in our lives through disobedience to the Word of God and to the Bible. But there's a second way to quench a fire, isn't there? And though it's very, very different from the first way, it's just as effective a way to quench a fire. The second way to put out a fire is to simply to neglect it. To fail to give it the fuel that it needs to burn. Fires need a continual source of fuel in order to burn. That's why you're always throwing logs on the fire. Or putting fuel, adding fuel to the fire. You always have to be adding it to the fire or the fire is going to go out. And sometimes the fire and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives can begin to dim if we fail to give that fire the spiritual fuel that it needs in our lives. Remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and part of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on that day was there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And this symbolized the presence of the Holy Spirit behind this great miracle that was occurring on the day of Pentecost. There's a great multitude of Jews from all around the world that began to ask questions about what in the world is this and what's going on and what's happening here in, in this you know, coming of the Holy Spirit upon these people. And they're confused and misunderstanding it. And Peter stands up and he begins to explain to them what's happening. And he preaches Jesus as the Messiah. And by the time he gets done with his sermon, 3,000 people trust in Jesus as Christ and make him the Savior of their life. And 3,000 people are then added to the church on the spot. 
The apostles didn't say, well, there you go, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's all there is to the Christian life, it all depends on God, you've got the fire, that's all that you need, and you play no part in it, now go on and conquer the world. The Bible tells us and teaches us that we're to also sow to the Spirit in our lives. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And then here it is. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. How did that early church sow to the Spirit? We're told in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Those were the spiritual logs, so to speak, that they added to the spiritual fire in their lives. The apostles' doctrine, the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, listening to Bible teaching, and to do it again as we pray, just in a conscious communion with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit while it is that we are reading it. You remember those Jesus on the day of his resurrection comes along two men who are on the road to Emmaus. Their hope is completely gone. Jesus is dead. They thought he was the Messiah. All of these things, and they're discouraged because they don't know that he's risen from the dead yet. And Jesus comes alongside them. They don't recognize him for who he is. And it tells us that Jesus then, upon their invitation, begins to speak to them from the Word of God concerning the fact that Christ had to suffer these things and to enter into His glory. And we're told that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. By the time they invite him into their house at the end of the journey and he sits down to eat with them and as they pray related to the meal, when they open their eyes up, he's vanished out of their sight. And here's what they said. They said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? There is a burning heart still to be had in the reading and in the study of the word of God. When the Word of God is coupled with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, now you have both the fire and the fuel. You ever hear the old saying, seven days without the Word makes one weak? And it's the truth, isn't it? If you're a person and you have developed a consistent daily devotional life with the Lord, what happens when you miss that one day? You feel a weakness. You feel an influence of the fire in all within you has been affected by just one day away from personal communion with God through the Word of God. A whole week really affects the flame of the Holy Spirit within us and His influence then through our lives. I mean, you can just... You can feel as you read the Word of God, we can feel as we're reading it, uh, fresh fuel being introduced into our lives. It's very real. It's a spiritual log being added to the fire each day. Then he talks about fellowship in Acts 2.42 that speaks of koinonia, 
having in common a oneness. And it's the recognition as a Christian that I need to be in relationship with other Christians. That's another way to add a, a log to the spiritual fire in our lives. There are no Lone Ranger Christianity. The Bible doesn't teach that kind of thing. I have never seen a Christian life that I respected or was making a difference in the world that operated independent of contact with the rest of the body of Christ. We're one body, the Bible says, and we need each other. And so the importance of fellowship with the rest of other Christians, serving other Christians, learning from them. The book of Proverbs declares, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We sharpen one another when we're in contact with one another. And so much of what the Lord teaches us in our Christian walk, He teaches us through the Word of God. But then I think the next greatest way that He does it is that He teaches us through other Christians. I almost never have a conversation with another Christian that is spiritual, not about the 49ers or the Golden State Warriors. Nothing wrong with that, but we won't call it a spiritual conversation. I almost never have a conversation that is spiritual in nature with another Christian that I do not learn something in that conversation. Where something they say, their attitude toward a certain thing, something happens in that where as I walk away from it, the Holy Spirit has given life to one or two things that I continue to think about and continue to learn from things that would just pass right by. I would never take notice of them except that the Holy Spirit is giving life to those things. There are conversations that I have at the back door here and other places and all with you, and I'll wait until you get out of eyesight, and I always carry a pen in my Bible and some extra paper. I'll write down a note or two. It's, I mean, I'm going to be teaching on that in three weeks, and I know it and all, and that's the greatest way I've heard anybody ever put that. Now, I'll never you give you credit for it. <laughs> I'll make it sound like I came up with that all on my own. But isn't that the truth? You walk away, you go to your car, you leave the women's fellowship, or you leave the men's fellowship, or whatever it is, and you're walking away, and you're thinking about something that someone just said when you were eating some refreshment before you left. And it's one of the things that the Holy Spirit uses to keep that fuel being introduced into our, our lives. And so to willfully neglect or fellowship or the assembling together of the saints is to remove one of the key ways that God uses to speak into our lives and to speak to us and to keep the fire hot within our lives. He speaks of the breaking of bread, which refers to communion, the Lord's Supper. And what is the Lord's Supper? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, do it until I come. And we look back and we think about what he's done for us on the cross. We look forward to not only what he saved us out of, but then the glory that we're going to be in the middle of forever and ever in heaven, what he saved us into. And we remember that it's all because of him in our lives. And communion is a way of just keeping Jesus as the main thing in, the main person in the church. We take that bread and we take that cup and we're reminded of his love. We're reminded of forgiveness. We're reminded of grace. We're reminded of judgment that he bore. We're reminded of the seriousness of sin. We're reminded that he's coming back. We're reminded of all of these things. 
and as we're being reminded of Jesus, the Holy Spirit loves to testify to Him in our lives. That's one of the things that He's come to do. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper and the breaking of bread, what that produces in the hands of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And then he, finally He speaks of prayers there, just communicating to the Lord. And as we talk with the Lord, and Lord, what about this? And I'm going here, and i got this situation going on over here, and this thing over here, and the kids, you know, and, and, then over, and all these things that we're heading through in prayer. And God is a wonderful counselor. We're just working through in prayer and all, throwing that log on the fire. Isn't it interesting how He'll walk us through it? Help us to see it clearly. Speak to us about what it is that we need to do in that situation or not do in that situation. And prayer allows that the Holy Spirit to be fully what He wants to be within our lives. And that, of course, that whole prayer includes praise and worship as we praise and worship the Lord. And all that's prayer just put to song. So the Lord is always faithful to fill us and to refill us with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. Every time we ask for that, He will be faithful to do that. But our place in a victorious Christian life in maintaining a Spirit-controlled life is to treat that fire of the Holy Spirit as the precious, valuable thing that it is in our lives. And when we see it for the precious, valuable thing that it is, we will protect it from anything that is unlike it out in the world being introduced into my life that would hurt or minimize his influence within my life. Anything unlike the holiness and the Christ-likeness that he's producing within us. Any sin, any disobedience. And then the second thing, if I value it and consider it a precious thing, is then also to feed the flame of the Holy Spirit within us with the spiritual logs that God has provided us, with the Word of God, with prayer, with fellowship, with the Lord's Supper, with all of these other things that are found in the Word of God, lest through neglect that same fire go out in our lives. It has always been helpful for me to realize that God is always faithful to do His part in this life that He's called us to related to the Holy Spirit. I have never known Him not to be faithful to fill me and refill me with the Holy Spirit. But I also greatly appreciate knowing from the Scriptures that I have a part to play in this and that I must also do my part to enjoy the fullness of the life of the Holy Spirit that God has for each of us. Even for that, we need God to give us the will to do and the power to do of His good pleasure. But He will give it to us to do that. So, what should we do if we grieve or we quench the Holy Spirit within our lives? That's my condition here today. 
which I haven't maintained. I know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know what it is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I know what it is to have that power. I know what it is to feel all those things in my spirit inside. I know that all of those things are real and true, but they are such a distant memory for me, either because of sin or because of neglect related to the fuel on the fire. What we want to do is just stop right here and now and repent, have a change of mind about how I'm living my life and how valuable I consider this ministry of the Holy Spirit within my life, how precious I consider it to be. No more excuses about, yeah, but, and this, and I have to do it this way because that's the way that everybody does it in this field, and and this, and all of that, none of that. And then just to stop and confess whatever might be sin, the sin of commission, and then the sin of omission, neglect, and just stop and confess it as sin to God, to ask for His forgiveness, and you know, He'll forgive us again. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then to stop and say, Lord, I never want to be in this place again. I never want to be in this place again, not for the rest of my life. Walk me through it again. How in the world did I get here so I can know how to handle each one of those situations in a different way the next time they come into my life And then to ask this morning to be freshly refilled with the Holy Spirit. And He'll do it. And then the Holy Spirit will be the influence, like that campfire, that He desires Him to be, that God desires the Holy Spirit to be within our personal lives. But not just there, but then as that fire burns brightly within us, that it would be an influence in whatever camp he's put us in, at school, at home, the neighborhood, at work, wherever that might be, as God is wanting to still reach this world. It's the only reason that we're still here. And God will be faithful to do that. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.